God has really blessed me. You know, he let me work in D.C., let me work with EIB and Hollywood and Silicon Valley. And he's shown me through all those experiences that there is one problem and one solution, and that's why we do this show. Welcome to A Disciple's View with Todd Herman. When the God of the universe created our world, his world, we get to live in it. He didn't snap his fingers or wink his eye. He spoke words. God said, let there be light. Because we believe, we speak about the happenings in God's world, mindful that our true home is with him, well, with Jesus Christ, the triune God. In the new heaven and the new earth, welcome to Disciples View. I'm Todd Herman. We need to get used to something, and it's, it's, I, I wager that for me, it's particularly risky. Uh, sometimes I think that what I do puts my relationship uh, with God at risk. What I do is this. If I'm not with you, uh, I'm recording a podcast. That's, this is what I do professionally. And we read so often in the Bible that we are to be respectful of the institutions of men to be respectful of kings. And, you know, Romans 13, I was, in, uh, I was in 1 Peter this morning, reminded of that, to keep a civil tongue in our head. And I try to do, that's not, <laughs> that's not a biblical quote, by the way. Civil tongue in your head, I think, came from a Larry McMurtry book. But I'm reminded so often of that as I go through devotionals, and, and yet I have this job. And I also have a belief that in the United States, we do have... Uh, an inspired document. The Constitution is, in my judgment, an inspired, inspired document. Aside from the Bible, I think it may well be the, the greatest written document written by man. The Bible, of course, being purely God-inspired. And it's being trampled upon. I believe we're going to have to get very good at being comfortable being uncomfortable. This is something that people who go through, let's say... Uh, uh, intense training in the military, teams training, special forces training. You'll hear them say this, get comfortable being uncomfortable. And the same can apply for, for people who are going through, well, periods of life where it's going to be uncomfortable. One of the discomforts I think we need to have is speaking, though we're told not to speak. And continuing to speak, though it may cost us friends, not because we want to be friendless, but because we must speak truth. And they are coming for the truth in every way. They, being the party, the world powers, are coming for the truth. You can look at this in all sorts of different forms. You can look at the figurehead Biden, who recently spoke with John Harwood. And just I, I say this just to make sure the context is clear. John Harwood once helped rig a debate by teaming up with one of the sides. Guess which side? And this question for figurehead Biden is somewhat rigged because Harwood makes an assumption that is not supported by any actual data. And he simply serves this up for the figurehead Biden to respond. What about what Elon Musk has done to Twitter, uh, lowering guardrails against misinformation? Does that contribute to it? Yeah, it does. Look, one of the things, as I said to you, when I thought I wasn't going to run, I was going to write a book about the changes taking place. And most of it's directed over the years for these fundamental changes in society. 
by changing technology. Gutenberg printing and the printing press changed the way Europeans could talk to one another all the way to today. Where, where do people get their news? They, 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 you know, they go on the internet, they, 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 they go online, they go, and you have no notion whether it's true or not. This is words spoken by a man who continues to tell this nation that getting injected with modified RNA, uh, which can in fact reverse transcribe itself into your genes, he continues to tell us, all of us, that'll stop the flu, the COVID flu. It's a lie. It's always been a lie. This is a man who said, I have no business dealings. I'm not aware of my son's business dealings. Liar. So how do I do this and keep a respectful tongue in my head to respect the king, as it were? Well, for me, I plant my respect with God Almighty. Thou shalt not lie. Isn't it funny when you say things like that, the Ten Commandments? Do you roll into the King James? <laughs> the same thing. I can't say the Lord's Prayer if I'm not in King James. And I read NIV. You can go to this. What, what is the result of Biden's observation that Twitter is just filled with lies and that only state-approved media counts? And what do they want to do? Well, they're continuing The Supreme Court has allowed that government to continue to censor Americans. Barack Obama signed into law or changed the propaganda laws, made it legal for the government to lie to us. Here's a question. Could Republicans present a single topic bill in the United States Congress to reintroduce the anti-propaganda law? to make it illegal for government officials to knowingly lie to Americans. And this time, put teeth in it. Such as, it's a felony. Such as, it's a felony and 20 years in prison. And a loss of your pension. We we could do that. Why haven't they? I think that being in power begets want of power. Like eating begets eating. Sleeping begets sleep. You want more. So we're going to have to get used to being told to shut up, being shadow banned, as it were. And we're going to have to find this path, this path of speaking respectfully and pointedly because they're coming for the truth. Uh, Here's a sign of this, and this will affect me. This will affect my family. Uh, Justin Trudeau is the dictator of Canada. Now, he may well lose his election unless they rig it, and they may well. The Canadian government is, has announced that all online streaming services that offer podcasts must formally register with the government to, to permit regulatory controls. They intend to censor podcasts like, like mine, like AFRs, that are no doubt heard in huge numbers in Canada. It happens at my The Todd Herman Show podcast which you can get at the ToddHermanShow.com, by the way, it happens that it has a very big listenership in Canada. And oddly, Netherlands and Brazil, who knew? So they're coming for the truth, and we're going to have to get very, very good at not allowing them to seize it from us. 
And the only way they can seize the truth from us is if we allow them in our minds, in our consciousness, and I believe our conscience is our bridge to God, or if we self-censor. And this is all over the place. This is a reporter getting kicked out of an event for asking a simple question. Um, first, thank you all so much for coming out here. Um, I wanted to ask, because there doesn't seem to be consensus on terms here, so what is a woman? And if it is just self-identifying, then is there any limiting principle? To- I'll, I'm, I'm a journalist, so I came to ask you. Well, I believe it comes down to genetics. I believe it comes down to the chromosomes, the two X chromosomes. But I don't think this is the venue. I think the speaker is fine responding, and are you okay responding? I'll give a quick answer. Sure. There are cisgender women with uh, XY chromosomes. There are cisgender men with XX chromosomes. Chromosomally, we can't determine what a woman is. Uh, biologically, it's very hard to define. And this is, this is what we see over and over again. And what, I, what, I, what really angers me about this question is the people asking it never seem to be able to give a straight answer themselves. I just I did. Uh, you didn't, though, because you just gave an answer that was literally just a thumb chromosome. Is what I'm saying. Okay, well, so what's your definition of a woman? It sounds, like you, just, it sounds like you just got do you, do you have a definition? I don't. So okay. ask me, you, you don't so ask much. one question. Okay. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. I thought you guys said we could ask questions here and everybody's welcome. Thank you, guys. Thank you, speakers. So in reality, they politely kicked him out. They're coming for the truth. And that man is, by the way, a Tim Cash reporter, Elad Elahu. And this was an event in Washington, D.C. called So-Called Trans Rights in America set up by Georgetown College Democrats in protest of the Daily Wire's Michael Knowles speech that was taking place the same night. So they're coming for the truth. That man was comfortable being uncomfortable. I'm sure that was uncomfortable. We have to do this because they're coming for God's manna. No, they're coming for God's manna. And they're doing this under cover of caring for us. It happens that um, in Congress, there was a debate about an amendment, just a simple amendment to a bill. Thomas Massey, as you probably know, is an MIT graduate. He spoke from the House floor about his amendment, which incidentally passed, that would allow that will ban, actually, your tax dollars from being used for what? ...of my amendment, which states that none of the funds made available by this act may be used to fund any grant related to any transgenic edible vaccine. Does the term transgenic edible vaccine sound far-fetched? Well, it's not. We're funding it. In fact, scientists from the University of California, Riverside, funded with your taxpayer dollars have been studying whether they can turn edible plants, such as lettuce and spinach, into mRNA vaccine factories, thereby creating a transgenic edible vaccine. One associate professor at UCR explained that ideally a single plant would produce enough mRNA to vaccinate a single person. We are testing this approach with spinach and lettuce and have long-term goals of people growing it in their own gardens. Farmers could also eventually grow entire fields of it. So let's be clear about the mechanism they're describing. It's not mRNA. That would go away in the body. It's modified RNA, which sticks around. Furthermore, the mRNA, modified mRNA, is simply a language. 
That's all it is. It's a computer language. It is instructions digitized and put into your body to make your body do what? Well, they will contend to fight off disease. Our bodies already do that. In fact, it's a gene sequencing hijacking system, but that's misinformation. This is the sort of dangerous misinformation that figurehead Biden will not allow if he gets his way. Great news is God is raising a generation of young people who are speaking out. This is from England. We can stand here and say more or less what other people are going to say about the effect of these 15-minute neighborhoods, soon to become digital ID facial recognition zones. Let's say my friend lives in zone 3 and I'm in zone 1. If, for example, I went to my friend's house in zone 3, my parents normally come and pick me up in in their car. It only takes 10 minutes. So does that mean that they would have to go round the ring road and back into town again? If my mum or dad had to drive round the ring road, it would take 30 minutes, causing much more pollution and leaving a much bigger carbon footprint. They will say, you can walk home. Would that be safe for me to walk home? Me as a 12-year-old walking home in the dark. No, in fact, it wouldn't in London be safe for you to do that at all. In fact, it's probably not safe for you to do that in certain neighborhoods at any time of day because of lies about unfettered immigration and, again, cloaked in caring. They're coming for the truth. They're coming for our food supply with their own code. Isn't it fascinating how often it comes back to them confronting God's design for our bodies, for our foods, for truth, for speech, for God cares about words. We wrap the show up every day reminding me that in the beginning God was with the word. The word was God. The word was God. This is nowhere more disconcerting than in efforts in countries like Scotland and Ireland's to make the carrying of God's word hate speech because God's word discerns the difference between man and woman and prescribes God's view of sexuality and marriage it can be considered hate speech in these countries and you could be punished for carrying it we need to guard on this particularly with our young pastors many of whom do not have a worldview. It's biblical, as we discuss next on A Disciple's View. I'm Todd Irma. You, I'm Todd Herman, joined by my friend, foremost, first and foremost, and pastor Jim Putman, author and senior pastor of Real Life Ministries in Post Falls, Idaho, but now spread across the country. Glory to God. And Jim, we've talked about the uh, the studies, the worldview studies, that Christians don't know what it is to be a Christian, but more disturbingly, young pastors don't have a biblical worldview. Uh, Jim, this is very disconcerting, particularly as it relates to young pastors leading flocks of sheep. They could lead them astray. Well, yeah. I, you know, years ago, there was a 
biblical worldview study that came out where it was um, uh, one in seven of those who went to a church where the pastor had a biblical worldview actually had a biblical worldview based on some very simple questions about hell or the, you know the Bible or very simple questions. Mm -hmm. And only 51% of pastors had a biblical worldview, according to a study. And since that time, uh, the numbers have continued to, to change. And my view of that is that, uh, you know, we live in a time where more information is available than ever before. Um, all, all these different opinions, um, you, we live in a culture where these young folks are living um, at a time and a place where they can get a billion different understandings. And most people think discipleship is really about a transfer of information, not a life on life relational environment where you get to see this stuff actually lived out in practice. Uh, but more just I'm going to inform you in snip, snippets. And and we, we just live in a culture where most of these young guys have not been discipled. Uh, at best, they've been educated from a variety of different perspectives, because now nowadays everyone can be a Christian with and there's not really a set of doctrine that that rules the church. It's it's kind of pick and choose. And and, and even if you do have right doctrine, you're not in an environment where you're in relationships, supported, uh, held accountable, looked in the eye and told you're wrong. It's all very surfacy, and it's led to. Uh, all kinds of different theologies, and, and even people who have the right theology don't have the strength that God intended for them to have in their life because they're not living in strong relational environments that keep them strong and accountable, where the, the load is carried together. It's more personality-driven. Yeah, and this is the image I get, Jim, is I, I get this image of young guys, they go through uh, school, they become a pastor, and their job is Sunday mornings, maybe if they're a large church, God's blessed them, have a lot of people, maybe it's two or three services, they do that, um, then there's the uh, administration of the church and the business of the church, but the difference I see, and let me see if I'm tracking this correctly, is um, the way God has worked through you guys to do this through discipleship is just like Jesus did which is you, I go to your groups on Wednesday morning and I sit there and you as the senior person, uh, the senior leader in that group, not just as necessarily the senior pastor, but the more mature Christian, there's a bunch of us that you take us through the word, through life. How are you dealing with your wife? How are you dealing with challenges with your kids? Sometimes that turns into brothers sharing some pretty significant stuff, some pretty painful stuff uh, that we don't talk about here because it's a private group. But it can run the gambit from sexual sin to money sin. And we talk about that with you at the helm. And so that's not done with these young pastors. They don't have that environment where they're walking through life and practicing being a Christian versus teaching the word. Yeah, and it moves beyond just that group. That group is just a gateway to further conversations because, um, you know, it, it might be over coffee where we really get into the how to's or lightly to counseling, but it's life on life, not only to learn the right information through conversation and modeling, but then to be in relationships that help you live out that that relationship. And, and honestly, this is just how Jesus did it. When Jesus said, go make disciples, he didn't mean go do it however you wanted. He meant, I just spent time with you. And there was 12 guys in the group. And yes, there were big groups, 
but we went deeper in small groups. And then we even went deeper in really small groups. So when Jesus sent people out to go be discipled and become the church, the methodology mattered. Uh, and it had an impact on how it was lived out theologically, practically, in lifestyle, and in relationship. They became the family of God. They didn't go to church. They became the church. And out of the overflow of that, people's lives were changed and people were invited. People are lonely. Because of sin, they're separated. Because of pace of life, it's all surface. And 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 you were built for it. And you know, all the all the studies, even scientifically, I, I think about the hardwired to connect study that came out from Dartmouth Medical School that said that mental health issues have been drastically impacted for children because of lack of stable relationships with other people with boundaries, solid, safe boundaries, and a lack of spiritual understanding. I mean, think about that. A secular <laughs> study said that people have a lack of personal human relationships and a lack of spiritual meaning. And Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, it's to love God and love others. And all the law and commandments hang on those too. Jesus has been saying this for 2,000 years. And we maybe people pay attention with Dartmouth Medical School has something to say about it. you know. But it, it's all right there in Scripture living out what God's Word has clearly said in faith, doctrine, and practice. So it can happen then that these pastors, they— um they've been through this range of teaching. So, okay, here's this approach on scripture. Here's this approach. These people say women can teach and preach. These, these people say, oh, the Bible doesn't really address homosexuality. And these people say it does. And these people say, so there's this mishmash of ideas. And then you're effectively taught to be a presenter uh, and an administrator, uh, teacher and administrator, but you aren't given this, this, what would you call this path? This, um, yeah, I mean, it's disciple making it's a, path. It's, it's a mentor path. It's a friend path. I mean, what would you call it? Well, Ecclesiastes four tells us there was a man who was all alone. He had neither friend nor brother. What a miserable business he's got, uh, you know, what am I going to do with my wealth? He's got plenty of work to do, plenty of money, but he's all alone. Yeah. What a miserable business depression. That's America right there. And then he says two are better than one. Because they get a better return for their labor. When one falls down, pity the man who falls down alone. He has no one to help him up. Uh, when it's warm at night, it, you know, one will be cold, freezing the dark night of the soul. Uh, but two can keep warm. And then he says, but an enemy comes. One can't protect himself, but two can. And then he, then he goes on to say, but three are better than two. A core of three strands is not easily broken. Some people want to use that as a marriage context, but it's not, or there wouldn't be a third strand, right? Yeah. Um, and, and a fourth is better. We were supposed to have relational ropes where right teaching was passed down and living that, that, that right teaching in theology, but in my lifestyle as a father, a husband, a brother, a co-worker, living out the right thing requires support, encouragement, and accountability. We were supposed to be a group of people that loved God and loved others. So we were supposed to be a relational people. But too many are trying to 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 make Christianity about your skill sets, how talented you are, or what you do right and wrong only. But Paul said, you can know all mysteries and speak in the tongues of angels and of men. You can offer your body to the flames. You can give all you've got to the poor. But without love, you're nothing. 
and uh, you're a resounding gong. We yeah. have got to do life. That's part of discipleship. Yeah. And now, okay, this is going to require some thought because um, you are not in the least bit um, an anti-academic person. Oh, no. Obviously, you're an author and, and you study history. And if you had to choose, so Jim, you have to choose because of resources, period. You send a young person to Bible college uh, to go get a degree in divinity, or you bring them up in a church environment where they serve and eventually um, are equipped to be a pastor, uh, to actually enter as a, you know, in a profession, a vocation as a pastor, which route if, would you choose if you had to choose one? Uh, well, I, first of all, I think the Bible college system has been created because the church didn't do its job. Okay. And because the church doesn't do its job, we have to have an outside source do the educating. I believe that a person who is discipled in relationship, it becomes a family that you've got. And you're vetted by your, you're in a group. You can lead a group. I know what you could do in your life. I know how you love. I know how well you, you, uh, uh, care for others. I can see your giftedness. You, you build a spiritual family of support around you. And then out of the overflow of that and alongside that, you're being taught the word of God. You're being taught, uh, you know, more intense teaching as, as you become more and more mature. I'm not against education. I, I have our guys who stay here. They get raised up here and then we'll, we'll get them in this class or that class while they still have their family and the relational ropes that hold them and keep them strong, but sending somebody somewhere else because the church didn't do its job so that they can be educated and discipled somewhere else seems like a, a little bit of a silliness. So they can go off somewhere and learn how to be in ministry over there and be educated. And, and, and then they send them off somewhere else uh, where they don't have a family, where they don't. And what does it lead to? People bounce around from place to place because they don't have real deep roots there. Uh, when I get a, 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 I get an application from somebody who wants a job, I don't know what they can really do. I, I know they went through classes. I know in the secular world, just because you went through teaching classes doesn't mean you could actually teach. I know some of the worst leaders on the planet have a leadership master's or doctorate degree. Just being educated doesn't mean you're actually mature. And if all I have is a resume and you put on there what you want and don't put on there what you don't, how do I even know what I'm getting? So I want to put somebody in a position where they're living their lifestyle. They have relational ropes. They've proven they can do something. They've got a support system. And I'm going to add education to that. So I'm not against education. I think there's a better way to raise up ministers. And the church needs to start doing its job by making disciples rather than converts right here at home. And we have 163 staff here. All but three or four of them came from right here within. And so if somebody offers them more money, or, you know, it's not a job, it's a family. And a person should be willing to go somewhere else if God calls them, but it's the last thing they do, not the first thing they do. If it's easy for you to move and you just bounce around uh, based on the new size of a job or new scope, and you never develop real, real relational ropes and a support system, then then it's, it's easy to go because you never really, you know, you educated them, but you, they weren't really your family. 
Yeah. And and then if you're doing that as a pastor, I can tell you this, it's real easy for your people to do the same thing. I'll just go to that church over there because uh, I like that teaching better, or I'll just go over there. And so they just bounce around, 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 around the merry-go-round we go. There's no real relationship. We go to church, we are at the church, and God has no obligation whatsoever to bless that. Because yep. it's not his version of the church. Yeah, and I've said this to you before, Jim, um, that that um, when I first came to real life, uh, the first two or three times I hated it. It was so big. Uh, I met you once. You were very kind, and I appreciated that. I uh, told you I did talk radio. You thought like I meant uh, on, a, on a CB radio in a truck. Uh, and then later you found out that I actually had a job in it. And, um, but when I got connected to small groups, everything changed. And now, as despite the size of the campus, um, I sometimes I can't get out of the lobby after church for half an hour because I'm gifted with people coming up saying hi and people I need to check in on and, and minister to. It just happened this, this past Sunday, just this past Sunday. I saw a brother in the lobby, and I was surprised and then became concerned that he was there, and, and uh, he and I shared very briefly. So that's a huge difference, and I, I personally have a bias towards learning by doing. That if, if, if it must be, go be taught. But it sounds like you're talking about learning by doing. We've got uh, well, just go yeah, ahead. My, my education is in secular. I was a school teacher. Yeah. The way they taught you, uh, the worst way to educate anybody is by lecture. Only 20% of people have an auditory learning style. And, and the, which is why school teachers don't want big classroom sizes because it forces you into lecture. Yeah. And why is it every pastor wants what every school teacher would hate? Right? <laughs> why why is that? That's a great you know, point. Yeah. It, but but you know, the job of a yes, there's a purpose for the weekend service and teaching, but it's gotta move into relationship where we the more mature people could unpack what they heard and help people apply it and then support them. Because a lot of times when you learn the word of God, it's not doesn't lead to an easy life. Yeah. Well, it's that support to help you do what God calls you to do in your individual life. Where it, so again, uh, my my view is um, God wants us to reach the world. Being big in a big church isn't necessarily bad. It isn't necessarily good. It depends on what's happening there. And I always people say, well, this is such a big church. I want to go to a small church. And I'm like, well, okay, there's nothing wrong with a small church unless they want to be small. They don't want to reach people. It's become a click. Um, we were told to reach the world for Jesus, make disciples. And if everybody does what they're supposed to be doing, it's going to grow. Yeah, because people are going to be sharing their faith and ministering to each other and caring for other people, and people are attracted to that kind of thing. And then, then you got to figure out how to organize it so it continues. Right, that is exactly right, Jim. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, Jim Putman, senior pastor, Real Life Ministries, started in Post Falls, Idaho, and God has has just moved the church all around the country. Jim would be the last person to take credit for that. He never does. Also, an author, and I'll just tell you. Um, I didn't know what it was to be a disciple uh, until I went through this process that Jim has talked about to live uh, in a godly community on a daily basis and to be held to account by godly men. It's just this past week, I had lunch with a friend of mine and we held each other to account. We are to be in the world and not of it. So let's be in the world as the body of Christ. This is a Disciples View. I'm Todd Herman. We'll continue.
to Disciples View. I'm Todd Herman. Thank you so much for continuing to welcome us here. I, sometimes I forget now that I'm the new guy. And that's a good thing because you guys have been so, so welcoming uh, to me. And I appreciate that so very much. The AFR team's been welcoming you. Next week is Share Week. I've never done one of these. And I have a whole bunch of ideas about how I want to do it. But the network's existed so for so long. The Wildman family knows how to get this done. So I, I as the new guy, I'm going to have to be listening and seeing, okay, how do I fit into all this? As we go through that next week in the share week, and I know that people share at all times finances. The only reason that the network continues to exist really is because of your great sharing already financially gifting us with this. And it's so vital because of, we talked about this entire show really has been about the attempt to cancel the word. First segment, we talked about the fact that they are literally coming for our, our, our truth. Not our truth. There is only one truth, but coming for our ability to spread the truth. And even God's word could be outlawed. That's not a joke. It's not, a, it's not an exaggeration. By the very definition of some of these speech codes, carrying a Bible in these countries could be a hate crime. You would possess hate crime material. You could be punished for it. So your financial support means you make this network relatively uncancelable because it's not dependent upon Elon Musk or, or Apple or anyone else. It's helpful that we've got podcasts, but it's not the only way we have the opportunity to get the word to people. And it may be that radio waves are what, what actually survives unless they really jack up the FCC and come after us. So I'm excited for Share Week. On this program, we celebrate the fact that the Lord tells us many, many times about the faultiness of human wisdom and that the true wisdom comes from God. This is inspired by the biblical fact of the Tower of Babel, one of my favorite, favorite uh, readings in the Bible, where human beings celebrating their own power, their own strength, their own decision, told to disperse, said, nah, we choose not to. We opt out, God. We've got a better plan. We're going to build a huge tower to our brilliance. And God said, nah, not if I take away your ability to speak, you're not. If I take away your ability to speak to one another in recognition of God placing these people on huge, mighty towers of weak sand, we present the Tower of Babylon. You know about the biblical truth of the Tower of Babel. A Disciple's View presents... Who doesn't love a yellow school bus? Trans women are women, trans men are men, and non-binary people are non-binary. If the prosecutor's not fired, you're not getting the money. The Tower of Babylon. Representative Jamal Bowman, you are no doubt aware of this, wants us to believe that he does not know what a fire alarm is, and yet he's a member of Congress. He doesn't know it's a bad thing to pull a fire alarm, and yet he was a high school principal. And according to Breitbart News, Representative Bowman tore down the signs that said not an exit, knocked them down, according to Breitbart, there's apparently a tame video that shows this. So he threw them on the floor and then later said, oh, I, I, I was headed to a meeting. What he probably did, and seems to me he did do, was decide to shut down the congressional procedure that he disliked. Now, in point of fact, I agree with Bowman about the, con- the continuing resolution. Not for his reasons. He wants to make sure that abortion's still in it and that, that he still gets to participate in the chemical and surgical mutilation of children. 
no doubt, a, a whole a cadre of left-wing causes that he wants to be in there. For me, I think it is unconscionable and immoral to pass something like this that no one has read except for individual staff members who wrote it. And they wrote it on behalf of industry. Well, and, and, and the 51st state. Because as we've learned from everybody in D.C., the paramount and number one concern of every single American is the 51st state of Ukraine. So I happen to agree with Bowman's view that this process should have been slowed down, that that bill should have been read. And I learned, and maybe you did too, on January 6th, that delaying a congressional action is an insurrection. It is an insurrection of the country. It's a coup. In fact, during January 6th, the delay stopped a ceremonial count. A ceremonial count. And it didn't necessarily need to stop. This actually stopped a vote from taking place, which they later came back and did. So Bowman wants us to believe that he was rushing to a vote. Why then was he rushing outside? He said in a statement, yeah, I just, you know what? I thought that red thing on the wall that says fire alarm, I thought that opened the door. So I pressed that. So in the Tower of Babbling, we honor, first up, Yasmin Vosigian. Vosigian. She's a propaganda reader on MSNBC. Here's how she reported this event. Last thing I want to mention, and then we're going to take a quick break. Um, there was a mention of Jamal Bowman, Congressman um, Jamal Bowman, and the pulling of some sort of fire alarm. And I just want to read for you some of the reporting so you understand what actually went on there. Um, there were some reports that began to emerge about Representative Bowman, who was um, seen pulling some sort of fire alarm um, in the Cannon House office building earlier today. We got a statement on that. Um, saying Congressman Bowman did not realize he would trigger a building alarm as he was rushing to make an urgent vote. The Congressman regrets any um, confusion, just to clarify some things on that, because I know there was um, likely some folks kind of scratching their heads, wondering what it was they were asking. (laughs) There were red signs everywhere, not an exit, not an exit, not an exit, emergency exit only, emergency exit only. To the far left, there is a fire alarm that says on it, fire alarm. So Jamal Bowman, former principal, can't read, thinks that he's going to vote outside. None of this is believable. Now, there are people facing 20 years in prison for walking through the Capitol and harming no one. There are people facing 22 years in prison who weren't in Washington, D.C. on January 6th. 22 years. Will Bowman face any punishment? No, he can't because he's on the way to a vote wrong there's an exception a felony and stopping an act of congress can be a felony here's how hakeem jeffries the leader of the democrats responded when he was asked a question about this are you concerned about the accusation that congressman jamal bowman is accused of pulling a fire alarm in a congressional office building and what are the next steps here i haven't seen the video until i see the video i'll have no further comments (laughs) Now, a couple things about that clip. First of all, the reporter says Bowman is accused of doing it. No, he's not. He's on video doing it. He admitted he did it. He's not accused. He did it. That's a fancy way to kind of lighten the question up for Jeffries. 
the video itself takes about 10 seconds to watch. If Hakeem Jeffries wanted to watch this, he could. But he doesn't want to because that's the answer he wants to be able to give. It's a great game they play in D.C. called Plausible Deniability. I know because I used to work at D.C. Now, you will remember Jamal Bowman from this exchange with the aforementioned Thomas Massey. We just talked about Massey in the first segment. He heroically got past an amendment to make it illegal for your tax dollars to be used to turn food you eat into vaccine factories, so-called vaccines. You'll remember this moment. Allows teachers to carry. Carry guns? Would you, would you more guns lead to more death? Would you more guns lead to more death? Look at the data. You're not looking at any data. The you're data. you're, you're carrying the water from the gun lobby. No, no, Look at the data. More guns lead to more deaths. Guns. States that have open carry laws have more death. In every school states that have open carry laws have more death. Are you listening to what I'm saying? That is Hakeem Jeffries, I mean, probably that is Representative Bowman, defended by Hakeem Jeffries, screaming in the same congressional building at Thomas Massey. And a careful watching of the video, in my judgment, shows that Bowman shoulder checked his fellow congressman. This is an imbalanced man. This is a man who has an incredible challenge reigning in his flesh. And sometimes we all do. Sometimes we all do. Um, I'm someone who believes in and finds a lot of utility in therapy. It's a fascinating thing because when I sought a therapist in Idaho, I was very, very clear that I wanted to be with a Christian therapist. To really help me understand and in, in beginning work through incredibly traumatic events uh, that we had as moms and dads, my, my wife and I. Some of the most traumatic, um, soul-draining, uh, frightening times had to do with something that befell our daughter that's, that affected her horribly. And it's her story to tell if she ever chooses to tell it. And it led her into consistent attempts of suicide. And it's as if you've not lived through that, may you never. And it came to a resolution. Well, a resolution, God saved her is what he did. But it also came to a point where I had to admit that my human ability to father is not limitless. Very, very arrogantly, I had told my mother once who said, Todd, You cannot continue at this pace. You work 60 hours a week. You're spending $35,000 a month to help your daughter. You are reading constantly about this. You're in group therapy, family therapy. You're flying to this care center twice a month. You're going to burn out. What I said to my mother was so arrogant. I said, no, 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 mom. My love and compassion for my daughter is absolutely boundless. Mine. Mine. And eventually God showed me that, no, it's not. No, you, you apart from me, you aren't going to make it through this. And in the most difficult prayer I've ever uttered in my life, I uttered it in my truck alone. I know right where I was. And I said to the Lord, I surrender. I can't do it. 
My love has failed. My patience has failed. It's finite. Father, I need you to take over. I'm lost. I need you to carry me. And when I made that prayer, fully submitted, things changed rather quickly. As God showed me a different path. Part of that, by the way, was becoming much more open to listening to the wisdom of my wife, who sees things differently than I do. And look, we've made mistakes as parents, and she'll be the first one to admit that. Maybe the second one, I'm pretty hard. <laughs> I tend to be pretty hard on myself. But part of that was listening to some of the wisdom of my wife, doing a better job at that. So at that point, I'd engage a therapist to help me through some of this trauma. And it was significant. It was, well, three years of fight or flight. My current therapist, for my other one, moved on, did something that's never happened to me before in a therapy setting. I described to my therapist the very last time that I, and I'm ashamed of this, uh, that I used violence against another man, and candidly, a pretty significant amount of it. Now, my therapist said, hey, you were defending the honor of a female family member when you did that. So if there's righteous violence, maybe that was it. And you were in a position where maybe, maybe that was okay. But what does your heart say? What does your soul say? I said, I did not turn the other cheek. My life was not at risk. My family's life was not at risk. Was this a good person? No, he was not at all. In fact, great evil is done through him. But she said, I can see in you that you don't fancy this. You're not bragging about it. Okay, you won the fight, but you're not happy. You're not bragging about it. And I said, no, it's, I feel incredibly pained by this. And she said, right, but it's washed in the cross. I said, yeah, yeah. And she goes, no, no, Todd. No, it's, this is washed in the cross. I said, well, yeah. I mean, it's, she goes, no, 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 no. Stop. Stop. Todd. This is washed in the, in the blood of Christ. You've taken this to the cross. Jesus himself has forgiven you. Say it with me. The second hardest thing I've ever done in terms of therapy was actually speaking the words, Jesus has forgiven me. I've been washed in the blood of Christ. And having spoken those words, I fell into a kind of crying, tears of a sort I've never shed before, tears of relief. If you haven't done that, and washing the cross, please make this the day that you do. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Because we believe, we speak, and will continue to. This is the Disciples' View. I'm Todd Herman. God be with you and yours.